Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. No, it's my first time in uh, Africa, first time in South Africa, and I'm so, so excited to be here with you all. Um, I think I've said this every chance I've gotten, um, but I don't know how I got here. <laughs> like, I know how I got here. I got here on a plane, but I don't know how I got here. You know what I mean? Like, this place in life, I don't know how I got here. Um, if I were left to myself, I would be in a completely different spot, doing something completely different. And yet, the grace of God chased me down. And ever since God gripped my heart in 2015 to preach the gospel, I have not been the same since. I went to a Every Nation Campus conference, and there was a moment that changed my life forever. And if you had told me five years ago that I would be in this place with this amazing church I would have laughed you out of wherever you were. There's no way I would have believed you to say that I would be here in this space, and it's only by the grace of God that I'm here. It is such a privilege to be a part of every nation, the Build Conference that we got a chance to be a part of, um, being here at Every Nation Rosebank, a church that I've heard so much about and so excited to be able to minister in and worship in. Um, I mean, even to see just some familiar faces, the webs here, who I've known for my entire life, Zach and Jess, got to meet you recently. It's just been such a blessing. Got to meet Pastor Tiam and your family, Miss Natasha. Thank you guys so much, Pastor Simon. It's been an incredible thing. And to be honest, one of the best things about being here today um, is that I can pronounce your church's name. I, this morning, was at Every Nation. When I first got here, I thought it was Rumsig. <laughs> if that lets you know anything. So I'm really happy to be in South Africa, but I'm really happy to be at a church where I can pronounce the name correctly, like Rosebank. So I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Um, you guys have been to a series called Breathe about the Holy Spirit, and I'm so excited to share a word that I feel like God has given me. We're going to be in John chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. John chapter 16, verse 6 in seven, a little context is Jesus now is in Jerusalem, and he has told his disciples many things many times, and at this point, Jesus is letting them know something more about his spirit and about what they're going to do and what his spirit is going to do. He is in the last uh, uh, about week of his uh, earthly ministry and his earthly life. The triumphal entry has already happened, and so now we see Jesus speaking to his disciples, and this is what we see in uh, John chapter 16. Verse 6 through 7 says this. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What I want to title this message is The Advantage the advantage. Will you pray with me real quick? Father, we love you and we trust you. God, would you have your way in this place right now? God, we know you said where two or more are gathered, you will be in the midst of them. So we know, Spirit, you are here and we welcome you in this place. We're asking, God, that we would, you would open our eyes to see and hear everything that you want us to see and hear. 
God, would I decrease and would you increase in this moment? Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At this point in Jesus' earthly ministry, he had been telling the disciples so many things of what were to come, including his death, including his burial and his resurrection, which they kind of didn't believe or didn't want to believe, including the spirit, which they were completely, uh, 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 they couldn't understand it. And Jesus here, we find him telling them another time. And I think it's so interesting because Jesus starts here by saying, I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, Jesus, right before this passage, had essentially told them that they're all going to die for him which could produce a lot of sorrow if you were the disciples. I mean, we know a little bit about the disciples, right? The guys who wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome politically, establish uh, uh, the Jews in a place of power, to, to, to breed a Messiah and establish a kingdom that looked like it was like from David's time, a Davidic kingdom. But we know in the New Covenant, that's not what Jesus's plan was at all. That Jesus came not to overthrow Rome politically, but to establish his kingdom spiritually, to impart his spirit into every believer, to come and actually give his life as a ransom for many. And the disciples saw him and, and thought, why would our king die? He said, it's to your advantage that I go. And, and the disciples, if you can imagine this, they've been with him for years. And he said these things and alluded to these things, but they've been with him for years. And at this point, Jesus says, it's actually to your advantage that I go. The disciples don't even know how to take this. When Pastor Tiamo and I were driving here, we were talking about uh, some of our family members and my brother and talking about kind of our lack of uh, skill in language, right? Now, we're not very good with languages, or at least I'm not. He probably is better than I am. I only speak like one or two, one and a half languages, I'll say, barely English. And so I'm coming, and we're talking about all these languages, and, and we started talking about my brother, who essentially, long story short, married his wife. She's German, and within four months was fluent in German. And, and we were talking, and we're like, where's that anointing for our lives? <laughs> We're like, why did God give that to them and not to us, right? And so we're like, I don't know if you were, but I'll confess. I was jealous. My spirit of envy was welling up inside of me. Like, God, why didn't you give that to me? And I think about that, and that's a silly example, but I think about sometimes how we can look around and we can say, man, they're advantaged, but I'm not. And we can look at other people and other circumstances, at other jobs and other families, other relationships, other churches, other experiences, other lifestyles, and say, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel advantage, I actually feel disadvantaged. And yet, Jesus says to his disciples, it is actually to your advantage that I go. And nevertheless, sorrow was in their heart. And one thing I love about this passage is that the Spirit and God does not disregard sorrow. He works in the midst of it. So there was a genuine sorrow that these disciples had from the news that Jesus was giving them. And Jesus acknowledges this, and he says, there's sorrow that's welled up in your heart, but nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And he encourages them with the Spirit and what he's going to give them. This is the third time that Jesus said he was going to go away, and the disciples still didn't fully understand what it was. But what I realized by reading this passage is that their moment of sorrow was actually setting up a move of the Spirit. 
that their moment of sorrow was actually setting up a move of the Spirit. And that they had these temporary emotions from the news or the circumstances that was going on, but Jesus was ushering them into a greater truth and understanding of who he was. And Jesus didn't disregard the sorrow. He was with them in the middle of it. How many of us are thankful that Jesus is with us in the middle of our sorrow? Jesus, sometimes I I think we can come to church and say, or or get saved and think, God's going to make my life perfect. Nothing is going to go wrong. I gave my life to Jesus. I got the shirt. I'm in the club. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. And and we think that in that moment, now our life is going to be perfect. But Jesus actually said, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus actually said, they hated me, so they're going to hate you. And sometimes we get, or I'll say it for me, I get a little bit uh, sorrowful because my life gets difficult. But Jesus says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus says, wherever you go, that I will be with you in the Great Commission. He says, preach the gospel, make disciples, and therefore I am with you even to the end of the age. The promise of Christ is not a life without sorrow. It's a life, of G- a life with sorrow with Jesus. What I've heard it described as is, is a life with Jesus is not storm-free, but it is storm-proof. That you have an insurance with God, that trials and troubles will come, but you have a greater promise that Jesus will be you in the middle of them. He will be with you in the middle of your sorrow, just like he was with the disciples. I don't know if you have sorrow today. I don't know if there's any heartbreak in the room, a lost dream, an unbelieving child, an issue with money, an issue in your body, an issue with your business. But I want to encourage you with one thing, that this life might not be storm-free, but you have a God who's with you and it makes it storm-proof. That you have a God that's with you in the middle of your sorrow. I believe that Jesus let sorrow enter the disciples' hearts and enter our hearts so we can know that he's with us in the middle of it we can have confidence that there is a God who is with us in the middle. You have the advantage. I don't know if you believe that yet, but hopefully by the end of this message, you will understand, the Spirit will impart to us an understanding that you have the advantage. Even though you feel disadvantaged, I want you to know that you have the advantage. The disciples couldn't grasp this truth yet, that Jesus was leaving, that's a disadvantage. But they couldn't grasp the truth that the Spirit was coming. That's an advantage. Jesus said himself that it is to your advantage that I would leave. And what they saw as a disadvantage, Jesus really saw as an advantage. Sometimes we we, we, uh, uh, disqualify ourselves because of our disadvantages. Do you ever do that? Because of your past? Because of your present? because of where you've been, because of your family. You don't feel equipped enough. You feel like you don't know enough. You feel like you don't have the anointing that Pastor Tiam has. You feel like I'm not really as good as this other guy. And, and all of a sudden, we start creating this world and all of these disqualifications for the reason why we're disadvantaged. But I really feel like the Spirit of the Lord told me, there are places in your life that you call a handicap, that God calls an upper hand. 
There are places where you might feel like you are actually at the bottom of the totem pole, where you don't feel like you should be in the position where you're at, that this is actually worse off than not. And I feel like the Spirit of the Lord says, don't call a disadvantage what I call an advantage. Don't call a handicap what I've called an upper hand. Because there is a strength that comes in the Spirit to do what you could not do by yourself. You actually have a helper in God. This truth was, was I've read this passage before. I, I, I've seen this story before. I've, I've thought and taught even about the Holy Spirit before. But when I understood this truth, when I was studying and preparing for this, it, it came alive to me afresh. That you have a helper in God. You have a helper in God. I'm going to say it one more time. You have a helper in God. That was, it, it blew my mind because I think of myself and then I think of God. I think of how imperfect I am and how perfect God is. How unholy I am and how holy God is. How selfish I am, how selfless God is. How, how, and, and I think about the discrepancy between us. I think about that God created the galaxies, that God created the earth, that God created everything that we see in six days and rested on the seventh, seventh just to say he could, just to do it. That God actually created every animal you see. He's giving you your next breath. You can't breathe unless Jesus, unless God lets you. And now I look at God and I look at me and I say, a helper? In the, the scripture, if I wrote the Bible, I would say, I, God, need to help you. Not because he needs help, but because I don't deserve yours. <laughs> so if someone's helping somebody, it better be me helping you because I do not deserve your help. And yet, we have a God who stepped out of eternity into the lowest place in the form of a baby in a manger just for the sake of dying for us to bring glory to himself. You have a helper in God. The only way that that does not encourage you is if you have a low view of God or a high view of yourself. If you're not encouraged that you have a helper in God, you either think you can do it or God can't. And I want you to know that there are certain things in your life where you are going to fail and fall on your face and it's going to be God's grace. Because he's going to say, now that you realize you can't do it, how about you trust in me? You have a helper in God. And, and this, the disciples, this is what Jesus is trying to get them to understand, that they have a helper in God. And, and here's the thing. It's not a lesser version of God, the Holy Spirit. We know that, right? This is not like... First place is the Father, second place is the Son, third place is the Spirit, right? We, we understand that it is not, it's not a hierarchy like that. It is three persons, one God. They are all God. If that's hard for you to understand, me too, it's okay, let's keep going. It is one God, right? Like if it can't fit in your brain, I understand. We're, we're, we're weak, right? We, we can't comprehend God. My dad says, if, if you can comprehend God fully, he's way too small, right? So we have a, 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 an infant, a mysterious God, and we have the Holy Spirit who has not divided himself and say, I'm going to give you part of me and you can only handle it. No, he gave you all of himself. I, I'm encouraged because in Psalm chapter um, um, 
8, verse 3, what I see is scriptures and, and, and David is, is proclaiming the goodness of God and the glory of God. And he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? You guys remember that verse? Yeah. What is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I that you are mindful of me? And I feel like that's the appropriate response once we see God rightly, see ourselves rightly. The appropriate response is, who am I that God himself would want to be with me? That would be mindful of me and then die for me and then give his spirit to work within me. Who is man? What is man that you would be mindful of him? As the people of God, we have and carry the Spirit of God. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a story that I feel like exhibits this really well in Exodus, Exodus chapter 33. What we see here is this is um, after the Israelites have gone out of Egypt, right? And so they have gone out of Egypt, and, and, and what happens is, is uh, they're about to go into the promised land. That's what they want to do. This is after all of these amazing signs and wonders and this amazing Exodus story from, from Egypt and Israelites and going into the promised land. And, and this is the point when they're soon to enter the promised land, but they're not there yet. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. And he said, Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, Moses, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? This is a, a, a story when essentially the, the Israelites have been a pain to Moses and to God for a long time. God says, you know what, I'm, uh, we're going to go. And, and he says, my presence will go with you. And then Moses pretty much has this, this moment of he, I, I feel like in this moment, Moses says, oh my gosh, if God, he, he, he for the first time realized, if God's not with me, I don't want to go. He, he had this, this thought where he's like, I got, I've seen your faithfulness. I, I've seen you from, from the moment I was born in the wicker basket. I was going down the river and I got picked up. That's your faithfulness. From the moment that I even was, was, was leaving Egypt and I wasn't persecuted after I killed that man and I was, I was serving in the house as a shepherd, that's your faithfulness. From the burning bush, that is your faithfulness. And even in all of my excuses to say how I'm not good enough, and then you responded with, I am who I am. A, a, a wonderful revelation of the Spirit of God speaking the man, that's his faithfulness. He goes to Egypt, shows these signs and these wonders to Pharaoh. That's God's faithfulness. The Exodus leaving Egypt, the Red Sea, that's his faithfulness. Crossing through on dry ground and crushing the Egyptians, that's his faithfulness. The rock and the water, the manna from heaven, the tablets, all of that is his faithfulness. And Moses had one thought where he was like, I can't even, I don't even want to imagine going without you. When you've experienced God's faithfulness, you don't even want to imagine going without him. Have you experienced his faithfulness in your life? Can you look back and say, God, you were faithful here and there and here and there. And God, because of that, I, it terrifies me to imagine. Now, this is the promise thing, guys. They're still in the wilderness. So Moses is making a big claim. He's saying, I'd rather be here with you in the wilderness wandering than in the promised land without you. Where would you rather be? 
I didn't, I didn't want to ask that question. I literally was thinking it, and I was like, don't ask it because it's convicting to me. But where would you rather be? Would you rather be in the wilderness with God or in the promised land without him? He said, I don't even want to imagine not being with you. <laughs> have, you ever a long, have you had a long-time friend? Like, think about your longest friend. Whoever's been your friend the longest in your life, and, and you think about that person, you're like, man, like, we're, it's, it's from, from the cradle to the grave. Like, we've been through it all together. Like, no matter what, even if we don't talk to each other, whenever we see each other, like, we're bros. It's like we never left. If you have that friend, first of all, you're blessed. Second, I just imagine that person, right? You have that person. Maybe you've been through a lot together. You've been friends maybe for years, maybe not for such a long time. I want to ask you a question. What was the last gift they got you? If you're like me, you're probably like, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really remember. But, but let me ask this question. How do they make you feel? You can probably think of that way quicker. Thinking about, what was the last gift they got me? Uh, bro, I'm going to have to think. I'm going to have to go through my birthday or Christmas or pictures or something. But when I ask how they make you feel, how quickly can you recall that? Oh, I know exactly how my best friend makes me feel. I know exactly how I feel when I'm around that person. You see, the Israelites couldn't wait to make a new God. If you remember, they made this golden calf when Moses was with God, and, and Moses comes down, and he gets really angry and smashes the tablets, right? And it's like, whoops. But then God's like, I'm not making you anymore. He's like, you got to do the next one, right? And so he has this moment, and they're super upset. But the Israelites make a new God, and I look at the discrepancy between the two, and I see, okay, how is Moses so faithful to God, and the Israelites are so faithless with God when they experience the same thing, right? Like, they all came out of Egypt, they all went through the Red Sea. They all saw the plagues. Like, the water came out. They all got the man. Like, why did the Israelites made a golden calf and Moses was faithful to God? When I think about this, I think when we think about God, the Israelites only knew God for his power, but Moses knew God for his presence. You might not really know your friend for their presence, P-R-E, I'm a great spelling, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, but you surely know them for their presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E -E, right? That there's a difference between knowing somebody for their power, what they can do for you, and knowing somebody for their presence, Moses knew the face of God, talked to him like he talked to a friend. The Israelites just knew the power of God. And let me tell you something. If we're only focusing on what God can do for us, we can quickly build other idols. Because what can they do for me? What can they do for me? What can this job do for me? What can this relationship do for me? What can this person do for me? What can this do for me? And all of a sudden, if we're only focused on what God can do for me, i.e. the Israelites, we can build statues and idols like that. But if we know God for his presence, if we know God for his face, if we sought him and been in his presence like Moses did, then no matter what happens, I'm not just looking for what God can do for me, but I'm looking at him for his presence, how faithful he's been to me. There's a difference in that. And you might be wondering, okay, well, this is great, but how does it have to do with the spirit of God? We were in John and now we're in Exodus. This is just like a long story. 
We need to spend time with the Holy Spirit to be with him, not just get something from him. We need to spend time with God, not just because we're in need of something, but because we need him. Sometimes I think us as Christians get in trouble because we base the goodness of God on how good he has been to me. You know what I mean? Like, is my life going well? Then God is great. I'm blessed and highly favored. If life isn't going well, man, I'm going through a valley. God is so far away. Like, I don't know where he's at. And all of a sudden, we are basing the goodness of God on how good he has been to me. And that's seemingly what we find the Israelites are doing. Moses didn't even want to imagine not spending time with God. And there's this last verse I want to read in Exodus. We see here, it's that Moses said, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth distinct. The thing that distinguished the people of God is the presence of God. That's what Moses knew. He knew the thing that makes us different is the presence of God. Sometimes as Christians, we think we're different because we like don't say bad words and we don't get drunk and we like are nice to people and we're generous and we're like morally upright. And we're like, oh, that's what makes us distinct. That's what, but atheists do that. Like, you don't have to believe in God to be a morally good person. You don't have to believe in God to do all these things. And I look at these distinctions, I'm like, that's not what makes us distinct or morality. What makes us distinct is that the Spirit of God is with us. What makes us distinct is that Jesus poured out his spirit on you just in the same way that Moses was, was, was coveting the presence of God wherever he went. We need to be coveting the presence of the Holy Spirit wherever we go. The things that make us distinct is that the Holy Spirit is with us. That's what makes us distinct. It's because the Spirit of God is in us and with us. We need to be a people who need the Spirit of God. We need to be a people who need the Spirit of God. And I can commit to needing the Spirit of God because Jesus first committed to me. We see in, this, we see in the gospel, a few pages later in John, Jesus is going to be crucified. And that was his commitment to us. He proved it through his whole life. And then the faithfulness, even unto death, he did not despise the same, but he set his face toward Jerusalem. He went into the garden and said, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus committed himself to the Father's will and our good. And because of Jesus' commitment, we now can commit to the Spirit. One of my last thoughts is, I think that you can honestly summarize the Bible in three words. I think if, if, if we were asked to do it, we could summarize the Bible, give a synopsis of the Bible in just three words. And the three words that I would give to summarize the Bible is God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. If we could summarize any point it would be that the Holy Spirit, that the person of Jesus is with us. And that changes everything we do once we realize that. It'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you treat your family. It'll change the way you work. 
It'll change the way you do relationships. It'll change the way that you live your life when you're alone. It'll change the way that you're generous. It'll change every area of your life when we truly know that God is with us. And I feel like the Christian life can be summed up in three statements. The Bible can be summed up in three words, and the Christian life can be summed up in three statements. What are those three statements? Love God, love people, make disciples. We see the great commandment in the great commission. If you get anything out of this message, just remember the rule of three. The Bible can be summed up in three words, and the Christian life can be summed up in three statements. God with us, love God, love people, make disciples. And all of those things are fundamentally impossible without the Spirit of God. We cannot love God well without the Spirit of God. Isn't that crazy that we can't even love God without God? That we need God to love God. We need God to love people. We need God to make disciples. That he, he said, <laughs> he invites us into the relationship and says, great, all you have to do is be available. I'll do all the work. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Like, you, like you, you're not that useful anyway, to be honest, but I want you. That's encouraging. So I'm going to be at the beginning and the middle and the end. And all you have to do is say yes. That's all you got to do. All you got to do is say yes. We need the Spirit of God. And it's to accomplish his purposes, not mine. The helper is to accomplish God's purposes. To help you help God, not help you help yourself. That might offend some of you, but it's true. Now, God wants good for you. God wants good for us. But the Spirit of God is designed, and he wants us. He's working on the inside of us to accomplish his purposes, not mine. The Holy Spirit is not just goosebumps in worship. It's not just a moment where we're sitting and saying, ooh, that felt good. Worship was great. Like the, and although your worship team is amazing, amazing, that's not all the Holy Spirit is. It's not just a moment in a song where we sing the bridge 10 times and we're like, that's amazing. It's more than that. It is, it includes that. I believe the Holy Spirit does it more than that. Go, God is planning to accomplish his purposes in our lives. And sometimes we get frustrated because we think that God would just help us accomplish ours. We say, God, you didn't do what I wanted you to do, so now I'm mad at you. <laughs> like being mad at God, right? We're like, God, I, I, wanted, like, I wanted a husband by this age, and I don't have one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I heard a few awkward laughs there. So I was like, oh. <laughs> right? Or God, I wanted to live this life, or they have so much a better life than I do. And we start comparing and contrasting, and we start saying, God, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And all of a sudden... We just walk away from the Spirit of God. We're not in line with the Spirit of God anymore, but God is our helper to help us glorify him and bring good to others. And if you're like me, most of the time, sadly to admit, I oftentimes ask God for help at the end of my rope rather than the beginning. You know what I mean? When things have gotten so bad that I can't think of anything else, <laughs> and I'm like, God, if you don't get me out of this, I can't get out of this. Instead of going to him at the beginning, asking for his direction, asking for him to help me. And, and, and this, is, this is a truth that, that the Holy Spirit, the helper of God, is not a last resort. It's a first response. 
It's not when everything else failed. He's not a helper so that when you're in emergencies, you have a flat tire in your life and you're bankrupt and all your relationships are broken and now I go to God. But he is a first response, not a last resort. He is designed to help you not just out of trouble, but to win in life for his glory, to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so many times we use God as like the police and we're like, I'm in trouble. It's an emergency. Help me. And God was like, man, bro, like you should have been here. Where have you been? I, I've been here, right? You know, it's like God's trick. I was like, I've been here, bro. And all of a sudden, we use God as like the end of our when we have nothing else to do. To God is into his purposes. And what are his purposes? If we just go a few verses later in verse 13 of, of, of John chapter um, 16, it says this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What is the purpose of God and the purpose of the Spirit in our lives? It is to help us, guide us into truth, and to glorify him. Real simply to guide us into truth and to glorify him. It says to guide us into all truth. This word all is pas, and it means all-encompassing, the fulfillment of every single piece. And so when we think of the Holy Spirit guiding us into truth, I want you to know that he is guiding you into every area of truth. If there's a place in your life where you don't feel like you have Jesus in the middle, he's guiding you into there. It's the fulfillment of truth. Every single space, he's guiding us into truth. And I'm reminded by a few chapters earlier in John, where Jesus says himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we see that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that means that the Holy Spirit is guiding us to Jesus. It's real simple. The Trinity, the, the, the God is one. He's not, he's not, he doesn't have multiple plans. He's not going in different directions. We see that God gives us a spirit to see Jesus, to live like Jesus, to look like Jesus, and to love like Jesus. The Holy Spirit guides us into the fullness of the person of Jesus. And then once we see him, then we glorify him. And then once we glorify him, we get to see him more. And then once he guides us into more truth and we see him, we glorify him more. And then once we glorify him more, we see more of him. And it's this revolving door of the Holy Spirit that keeps guiding us into himself for his glory and for our good. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is, he is pointing us to himself. And in that is where we get a true helper in the Holy Spirit. When you're on mission for God, you're on mission with God. You don't go alone. When God has called you to something, you're not going in your own strength. You're, you're going in God's. You're going, you're sent by God. You have the advantage. Last story is, um, I was in Disney World at some point, uh, like, fair or 14, something like that. And so Disney World is, like, great. It's really cool, but the lines are, like, really, really long. 
Um, and so what happens is like there are just like so many people at Disney World all the time. And at this specific moment, we were trying to go to Disney World as a family, and it's in like Florida. It's like on the tip of like Southeast in, in, in America. And so what happened is that when you go to Disney World, you just have to prepare for the day to be really, really long because it's going to take you like two hours waiting in line for like a two-minute ride. Is it worth it? Probably not, but Mickey Mouse is there, so we go anyway. And so we are going to Disney World, and we're waiting in these lines for so long we've been. But I remember this is one time we went, and I was going uh, um, with somebody who had some special access in Disney World. As in, he was kind of like famous, right? And all of a sudden, because I was with him, we got this special tour guide. And this special tour guide had this special card. And this special card got us into every ride, was skipping every line, and got us every meal, was skipping every line. And we got to go through the back and ride rides as much as we want. It's the point of the story to make you jealous, partially, but not ultimately. So what we did is, right, so what we did is as we're going through all these lines, I remember that we were doing things that other people can't do, going places other people can't go, enjoying things that other people can't enjoy. And I want to read a passage of Scripture to you as my last Scripture as I close. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making his, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. That means that we represent Christ and go in the power of Christ. An ambassador is someone who represents a nation or a people and then goes and does business on behalf of that nation or people. Let me tell you something. You are an ambassador for the kingdom of God doing work on behalf of the kingdom of God with the power of the kingdom of God. When I got to go into Disney World and skip every line, do everything others can't do, go places others can't go, enjoy things others can't enjoy. That was me going in somebody else's strength. And when you're in this world and you have the Spirit of God helping you, let me tell you that you're going in somebody else's strength. And that means that when you have the Spirit of God, you can go places other people can't go. You can do things other people can't do, and you can enjoy things other people can't enjoy. Why? Because you're not going in your power, you're going in his. And you have the spirit of God that gives you special access to special places. So now when you go somewhere, I want you to think, yes, that's a closed off place, but I'm going in the spirit of God. I have special access. When you see a family matter, that seems impossible, but I'm going in the spirit of God. I have special access. When you see a financial situ situation that you can't fix, but I'm going in the spirit of God. I have special access. You can do things other people can't do because your God is helping you. You have have special access. There's an advantage that you have in the spirit that other people don't have. Why? Because we are distinct, Moses says, because the Lord is with us. And I want to encourage you, church, the Lord is with you. You have God as your helper. You have the Holy Spirit in your life to be a witness for God, to do miracles for God, to guide you into all truth and to be his witness, to be your counselor and your comforter, to bring him glory and to go places other people can't go for the glory of God. You have the advantage. And your advantage isn't for you, but it's for God. 
Will you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for the gift of grace. God, that you chose us and loved us and, and died for us when you didn't have to, but you just chose to. God, this unmerited favor of God that rests on our lives. Lord, we are so thankful for that truth. God, we're thankful and humbled that you, Jesus, gave us the advantage in the Holy Spirit. And now that we have the advantage in the Holy Spirit, we can do things others can't, go places others can't, enjoy things that others can't for the glory of God. So Lord, would you fill up these people in this space? God, with your spirit, would you guide us into all truth and guide us into yourself? Would you allow us and give us the ability and the faith to glorify you in all that we do? That see you, Jesus, is the only way. Would we be a people who, are, who don't even want to imagine going without you? Because you're so good. And God, we can have a confidence because your spirit is with us. And you don't give yourself in halves, but you give all of yourself. You gave all of yourself on the cross. And you're giving all of yourself and your spirit to your believers, to your church. We thank God for the helper. So Lord, help us. Help us be your witnesses in the earth. Help us glorify the name of Jesus in all that we do. Help us by guiding us into all truth. Help us by signs and wonders that point to the glory of God so that others might believe. Help us by comforting us in our distress. Help us by, by being our counselor when we don't know what to do. Lord, we need your help in every area. Father, if there's anyone in this space who feels far from you, who feels like they're on their own, Lord, by your spirit, would you help them? That's what you said you would do. That we have a helper and it's an advantage in you. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen.